The Soul of an Internet Machine, a podcast journaling the adventures of a business and a software development team figuring their way through the challenges of launching a new venture. We make the occasional good decision, spend time following bad ones, and get trapped by world events. Ping me, Christina Moore, on Twitter at Seymour underbar SP. That's Charlie Mike, C-M-O-O-R-E underbar SP, or at the website, ChristinaMoore.us. Chapter 6, Recurly. The internet market space emphasizes both self-service and self-reliance. The buyer, you and me, hold a puzzle piece-shaped description of needs. We then strive to find a service provider who can complete the picture. Rarely do I get to talk with a real human being or get to ask questions. The damn chat window on sales pages focuses on the wrong answers. Well, okay, certainly not my answers. But then some services stand out, such as Recurly. As a note, they are not sponsoring this episode or podcast. We are but a humble customer that they have never heard of. I will identify Recurly services, our decisions, and our processes in this chapter. But maybe first I should define Recurly. For podcast flow, Recurly replaces PayPal. I divulged a few of our misadventures with PayPal in Chapter 5. Their failures forced us to run away. Recurly promises to be a tool to manage credit card payments for subscriptions to our software and our courses. We ask new customers to buy a subscription with a credit card, and we do not want to ever have to deal with the confidential financial data related to the credit card. There are two reasons. First, it makes us a target for bad actors on the web. Second, to collect that sort of financial data means we must comply with a rigorous series of international standards. Frankly, My favorite means of keeping data safe is to limit access to it, even my own. Recurly's business model better resembles a fast food restaurant than a linen-draped place with too much silverware. I still prefer the professionalism of sit-down dining in a comfortable place with waitstaff who listen and teach and indulge me just that little bit. The internet business model provides few opportunities for these kinds of indulgences and poetic descriptions of savory foods. Instead, Our team steps up to a figurative service window on the internet with no one at the counter. Both the modern buyer and the modern seller expect little human interaction at this figurative service window. The exchange, occurring at near light speed, completes an old promise of no human touch fulfilled. Look, Ma, no hands. Our team shifted focus to recurling in less time than it took to understand the facts. The sort of speed one sees after touching a hot stove, that reflexive touch. It was after we retooled for Recurly that we appreciated our decision, their service, and the full scope of their offerings. PayPal provided the pain, and we hit Recurly on the recoil. I could paint that decision process to tell an almost truthful story, tell a bragging story. Here in the left column, are the features we want, and in the right column, the features Recurly offers. Well, we did deliberate as a team over a modest pro-con matrix. We did not do anything like this. We knew what we hated, oh, PayPal, and through that experience, we learned what we really needed and wanted from a partner. I can admit that both PayPal and the Recurly decisions involved more intuition and gut than research. Recurly ticked off enough features to be the good enough option. Surprisingly, we accidentally found features that resolved long-simmering issues between Kelly and me. 
we found these features as we wrote the code, not before. Kelly and I had a kinetic discussion about pricing and features in October of 2019. My position was absolute and solid in structure. On the other hand, Kelly sought flexibility to bundle offerings, offer coupons, capture analytic data. Her desire for flexibility opposed my understanding of what PayPal could offer. A subscription with PayPal followed a simple rule. X dollars for Y term renewed at Z intervals. To follow this formula, we can have a trial or no trial. Kelly wanted pricing that allowed us to sell a course with the software free for six months, then renew the software at the annual rate. Described thus, six months of software for free, buy this and get that, and that too, like a late night knife commercial. My position, we can only structure offers that we can support with our tools and our partner's tools. Her position, others do it, why can't we? I had to win the conversation. We can only do what the tech permits. I refuse to write a full suite of tools for managing payments. I refuse to write a full suite of tools for managing payments, which may step us into storing payment data such as credit card numbers, expiry dates, and billing postal codes. As a toolsmith, I prop myself up on two false pretenses. One, instead of accepting my duty to solve problems, I fought back with no. Second, I then assumed that PayPal had the same capabilities and limitations that its competitors have, Hertz to Avis, or Wendy's to Burger King. As firms compete, their offerings overlap. I was wrong again. We acknowledged the failings with PayPal in June of 2019. By July of 2019, we continued to fight with PayPal. Services and technical documents fell below our expectations. We compensated by limiting our vision and banging at problems with the few tools they offered us. They offered one path forward, and we followed it. In December, our team's combined frustration with PayPal pressured us to movement. In the same way that floodwaters push on a dam, I had tunnel vision. My tunnel vision infused the team. My explicit and implicit instructions failed to include the freedom to examine other vendors. When we started the project in June, our intent involved selling subscription-based software to a global market. In December, our offerings expanded to include courses. Our needs changed. PayPal barely met the needs defined in June, then failed to meet the needs known to us in December. The needs did not change, only our comprehension of those needs. The dam broke when our accounting team explained South Dakota v. Wayfair, Inc. Vision opened wide at that moment. My resistance ceased instantly. We shifted focus and wrote a digital connector in a week. The Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS, determined that businesses must collect sales tax on behalf of every state in the U.S. PayPal cannot do this not for subscriptions. A subscription is different than a standard online purchase. Let's say I'm buying tea at my favorite tea shop. I click my Earl Grey, select the one pound bag, find my Damara sugar cubes, sneak a peek at some lovely kitsch, then order a new tea strainer. I examine my online shopping cart. Oh, I forgot my tin of Scottish Morn. I then click the find and add that. My shopping cart analogy works well. 
I have an inventory of items in a basket. The checkout process calculates the price based on quantities and unit prices. I've already provided my shipping address to them. They have a subtotal of goods sold. They know my location. The system looks up the taxes. Grocery items are tax-exempt in Vermont. The tea strainer is not. The taxes display. Then I pay the total amount after selecting my shipping options. This process cycles back and forth between the website and the consumer, me. A digital dialogue process runs in the background. Subscriptions vary from the purchase of a product. The consumer buys annually or monthly. After the first approval, the subsequent purchases run through without additional guidance. The same amount is charged to the credit card at the appropriate interval. There is less back and forth between the consumer and the vendor. To calculate taxes, one must have key ingredients. First, we must know the location of the buyer. We can approximate this from the shipping address, or the billing address, or the internet address. These sources for location may not agree. Therefore, a bit of guessing is required. Shipping address is likely more accurate than the billing address. These addresses are both likely more accurate than the internet address. The process of identifying a consumer's precise location is an estimate. The town related to my shipping address has my home in Brattleboro, Vermont, nearly 30 kilometers away. This town collects sales tax on goods. My mailing address, a post box, is 5 kilometers away. The internet address shows up with some random location around Vermont and New Hampshire. When my VPN is running, the internet thinks I'm in Ashburn, Virginia. The precise location matters. Brattleboro, Vermont charges sales tax. My town does not. And because my shipping postal code appears to be in Brattleboro, we sometimes pay sales tax. My tax rate should be like 6%. Instead, it varies between 6 and 7%. The variation results because of challenges in finding a precise location with imperfect data. The type of software we write, no one has a syntax for maybe. The rules inside of business software involve matching a situation against a known criteria. If the postal code is 05301, then the customer is in Brattleboro, Vermont. Oracle database systems resist variations on this, such as if the postal code is 05301, then maybe the customer is in Brattleboro, Vermont. A software developer faced with resolving this situation must look for more data. The software nor the software developer can know that the United States Postal Service used the same postal code for five towns covering nearly 1,000 square kilometers. We, developers, strive for greater precision with more data. Often more data obscures. If data fails to align, instead of a tiny dot on a map, a system paints a vague box of likely locations for my home. Therefore, the developer must decide whether charging tax or not charging tax is the better course. In the end, the developer must decide to avoid fines and penalties. Failure to collect tax may result in fines, while collecting taxes where not due may not even be noticed by the consumer. Done. The developer decides to charge the additional 1% and send it all to the state of Vermont. Vermont will send some to the town of Brattleboro. Therefore, Brattleboro collects sales tax for a transaction between me 
and my tax vendor in New York State. To be entirely clear, I'm not in Brattleboro. I did not ship to Brattleboro. So go ahead, Brattleboro. Enjoy the 1% sales tax collected from my purchases. Something similar did happen in Boston, Massachusetts in 1773 with tea, with taxes on tea. I know that story. I had two third cousins participate in that protest. Yes, a few generations back. The Ideal Consumer Our decision-making process in December informed me how I respond to the pressure to buy. I am skeptical. I deny trust to anything advertised or efforts to capture my attention. My eyes scan and my brain filters incredibly fast. There are times that I wonder how anyone sells anything to me, but I buy. Sometimes I even shop with pleasure, though shopping with pleasure is rare. Most often I fill with dread. Frankly, I hate shopping. When I do buy something, I can effuse on the purchase, tell stories, show off a bit. I'm a consumer that businesses should want. I am an ideal consumer. Of course, I'll say that about myself. I am not the consumer that businesses advertise to. I do not fit into the demographic of sought-after consumers. I never did. Never once growing up did I sincerely identify with anyone's target market demographic. They always wanted someone else. In my youth, I did try. Regret and sadness and frustration often followed my efforts to be a consumer. I cannot buy clothing off the shelf. I feel like a comic book freak sent from section to section, wandering store to store, wanting to f- something to fit and feel good. As a teenager, each thigh was 71 centimeters. <laughs> My waist was 66 centimeters. Salespeople pointed to the distance saying, somewhere else. At an awards dinner in the Bay Area back in my Cisco days, a friend told me that my shoes would not do. I nearly cried. I resisted, then yielded. Tina stated with confidence that we will find shoes that fit. We called Marco, my Bay Area driver, long before Uber, to support our shopping effort. After six hours, Tina accepted failure. My mother, then living in Italy, had written me a letter about that time. My mother wrote of herself, I must be Cinderella's oft sister. There isn't a shoe in Europe that fits my foot. Our feet are extraordinarily wide, which always puts us in that oft position, the other shop, the other place. Shop attendants inform me in plain words, we have nothing here for you. I have cash and a problem to solve. But so many businesses have said, no, not you. Over the decades, retail businesses and I came to a firmer resolution. I could not go to malls and bright stores any longer due to my PTSD. From 20 years of age, I started working on emergency ambulances in and around the cities of Boston and Cambridge, Massachusetts. That work served as my summer job during school and an easy landing place after my degree. It paid well after some of my seniority. The job eventually faded to weekend work. Then, finally, no more flashing lights, no more crime scenes, no more violence, degradation, death, mutilization, and bitter sadness. By the age of 28, my startle response was lethal. I lived on a raw edge due to PTSD. No more holiday firework shows, no more big crowds, no more concerts, and no more brightly colored malls and stores. 
Brightly colored lights can, at times, cause me to shut down to a childlike state. The incapacity it causes starts a cascade of other problems. When like this, I just do not belong with normal people. I feel broken. I got help. I improved. I learned my triggers. And I did eventually return to a few concerts. Yet shopping malls and big retail stores instill me with fear of my own response. The poor businesses think that they offer a happy, bright colors, the colors of energy and joy. Yet to some populations, it is just too much stimulus. It is all noise. I spent a year in Iraq in 2006, and I've spent 10 years as a paramedic in rural New England, including time as chief of service, a mentor, instructor, and incident commander. I have tools and techniques to assist with managing my PTSD. 25 years of symptoms that wax and wane inform my basic decisions about shopping, travel, adventure, and fun. I am not broken, nor am I unusual. The fact that I am not the demographic for so many businesses is not my fault, but theirs. I've spent my entire adult life learning to avoid anyone that tells me I must pay attention to them. If you are advertising, I know you're not advertising to me. You've already told me that. I'm not in your demographic. If I walked into your store and had been told, we've got nothing for you here, your crowds Your bright lights, your music will crumble my strength. I will become irrational, fearful, angry, and resentful of being trapped by your walls. Your behavior already tells me you do not want me, and you do not know me. Guess what? I am an ideal customer. Screw you for not knowing that, and screw you for not figuring out how to sell to me. Know who did? Amazon. Know who else did? Any number of bespoke tailors who know how to shape fabric to fit the human. I can buy a car in a snap. The most recent car happened to be the most expensive one on the lot and the most expensive model the manufacturer makes. Frankly, I didn't care much about the cost. The car fits me. Or is it that I fit the car and I'm happy to have it? The ideal customer is one who has money and looking for a solution or a product. It is that simple. Podcast Flow LLC sells subscription-based software to a global market. We need a solution that helps us manage subscriptions, including payment and regulatory compliance. The cost of the solution will be treated as cost of goods sold. We budgeted PayPal to cost approximately 4% or more of every transaction. Therefore, we have money to fund our solution. We are an ideal customer. How to sell to me. Selling to me is hard. 50 years of television ads, 50 years of radio ads, 20 years of internet ads. As a technologist, I know all of the knobs and switches it takes to minimize the attention-grabbing noise. Throughout my adult life, I could program any device or use the fast-forward button. For those of you who have ever left a military post at the main gate, the experience can be like arriving in Oz. Across the road are brightly colored signs and big letters and flashing signs and flashing lights. On post, the colors, the building shapes, the signs and terrain adhere to a color palette established by Uncle Sam. Muted, earth tones, subtle. Off post, there are fast food joints, bars, pawn shops, and bail bonds. They all scream, look at me! I can't. I can't see anything in that mess. My basic skills for... 
friend or foe recognition fail. I need to differentiate trust from don't trust. I need to tell the difference between signal and noise, a technical term from the old days of radio. Sometimes there is a valuable message in the chaos of lights and static and the mess. The message is the signal. The rest is noise. I need to filter the noise, which is also called squelching. I instantly squelch red, yellow, flashing, and strobing. I can squelch movement, but it's hard. I can spot an owl land on a tree limb from 100 meters in pre-dawn light. Clearly, I do not enjoy Las Vegas. That first measure I make is a trust-don't-trust assessment. It's also called a threat assessment. How safe am I? My first weeks working in the city on an ambulance, I learned a new way to knock on a door. Step one, do not stand in front of the door. Step two, knock on the door with an outstretched arm most often with a long flashlight. Step three, understand the person on the inside has already experienced trauma sufficient to call emergency services. In summary, when knocking on a door, my life is at risk. Dear vendor, know that some portion of your audience performs an instantaneous threat assessment, often unconsciously and executed with bias beyond your understanding. Please help me with that assessment. How easily can I find your bona fides? Dear vendor, please tell me what you have to offer. Please tell me a clean story, a consistent story. I understand that positioning a new product in an emerging market is difficult. During the 1970s, someone once said, nobody needs a computer on their desktop or in their home. Yet today, so many of us carry mobile computers on our person. Dear vendor, please try to avoid stupid mistakes. My criteria and tolerance for creative spelling varies. In a multilingual neighborhood, phonetic efforts can be a great hook to grab my attention. On the internet, be professional about language. In 2020, non-native use of a language on the internet can be a warning sign. If you wish to sell to corporate businesses in North America, that typo may signal me that you are a fraudster. Conversely, it could also tell me that you're a left-handed dyslexic like me, therefore fostering an accidental kindredship. You can't know how I'll respond, so get it right. Dear vendor, please provide some depth. Somehow, connect with something beyond yourself. Local tradespersons may have a two-page website. Even there, I expect a phone number that makes sense and a dot on a map. Please, please find some way to establish a legacy on the internet. And if you can't, write a heck of an origin story that tells me why I can't verify you in some respect. You, your idea, your product, and your website didn't hatch fully formed and ready for business. If it did, you are committing fraud. Here is a fundamental checklist to selling to a scared, scarred, and skeptical market. First blank, survive the friend or foe threat assessment. Second blank, tell me what you offer. Third blank, Do not distract me with errors or excessive movement, noise. Be consistent. If you survive that, then no, I will dig. I'm about to give you money and maybe my credit card. I may tie my business to yours. I will triangulate you, your firm, your staff, your products, and your services. Internet triangulation. Yes, the first search is absolutely done with one, two, or three internet search engines. No, Google is not alone. Google results are manipulated by revenue to Google, neither good 
nor bad. We took recurling and ran it through the popular news aggregation sites and search tools. Multiple sources reported that recurling had raised 19.5 million U.S. dollars in capital during the fall of 2019. That infusion of capital was after our first efforts with PayPal. Results that add to credibility. A competitor's advertising on top of a search for the target name. The target results in the first few listings of a search. One or more articles by an independent source, even a hometown newspaper. Some hints of multiple links, such as partners, etc. Social media hits, including blogs. Are there any blogs? Do the blogs augment the story or distract? Any references to staffing, hiring, leadership? What are the jobs that are being posted? What credentials are required for the jobs? Is there a help desk or a knowledge base? Can I get to it? Clearly, there are derogatory results that prompt elimination. I can skip that analysis. Let's imagine you are recurly and you want to sell to me. Your wicked smart marketing team knows everything I have just now written. Let's review what recurly is selling. They suggest they have the ability to manage subscription payments and renewal of our online software. Recurly tells us this in the hidden information in their website header. Title, Subscription Billing and Recurring Billing Platform, Recurly. There's also a description hidden in that information. Recurly provides enterprise class subscription management for thousands of businesses worldwide. That is a near perfect alignment with our statement of needs. They offer a proof statement through their dedicated developer's website. They provide complete documentation of their digital connectors on this website. In this documentation, they provide two additional nibbles of information. First, they document the entire history of their application programming interface, including data on prior versions. Second, they provided me with a link to download their interface. I am not. My team is not stuck typing stuff from a website and failing due to errors. Recurly met us halfway. We must still write code. But now we have a known and demonstrable target. The information we discovered on the internet told us that someone else had trusted this company. Someone had invested time, money, and smarts into this company. Their digital interface demonstrated human intelligence and experience in knowing what we would need. I tell myself that the segregation of the developer's hub and documentation to a separate website illustrates a negotiated settlement between the marketing people, corporate leadership, and technical people. I fabricate the following in my mind. There is a voice in a meeting stating that the API and technical documentation is a corporate and marketing asset. Another voice in the meeting argues back. No, decision makers will never look. That's just noise that'll distract the audience. A third voice states, you can't share the API publicly because it will give up our intellectual property and give our competitors an advantage. Listen to me. I make decisions. I am an ideal customer for someone. I am not unique. I am not a unicorn. Accept your customers for who they are, not who you want them to be. Let's follow my eyes through the Recurly's primary website, as I see it in the winter of 2020. I see a clean website. There is small movement of company names fading in and out of supposed customers, some well-known firms, and some that I've never heard of. I scan this list. There are some firms listed that would defend their brand and kill the Recurly website if their name was ill-used. Okay, tick. <laughs> Probably not a complete lie. Their website is not screaming at me to pay attention. 
their website can sit on my desktop and not distract my eye. I can leave it up. Dozens of websites that I visit per day, I must close, bury, or minimize. They flash something. The moment a website moves, I kill it. Boom, gone. I have three monitors and I want a fourth on my desk. If I give your website real estate on my desk, don't be the ass that pulls my attention from something more important. You be you. I have you open for a reason. Do a pop-up, play a video, have something stupid moving, following me down the page. You're gone. I kill you. I close you. Bye-bye. While discussing website animations, let it be purposeful and deliberate. Let it tell a story in the movement. Then make it stop. What goes on in my mind while I'm at my desk? I balance between intense focus and head-on a swivel distractions. At any second, something critical and urgent may disrupt everything. I have spent 15 years responding to emergency calls from other people. I spent a year in Iraq building communications infrastructure whilst people fired rifles and mortars somewhere in earshot. I am one of millions. If you wish to distract me with movement, make sure you mean it. For example, crashed server. Failed service, new urgent trouble ticket, bank balance crashing, a health or welfare issue for a friend, a family, or colleague. All the rest, y'all, shut up. As I roll down the Recurly site, I read some of the words on their page. Powering subscription commerce. This hits home with a message. I understand. Good. Top subscription platform for maximizing revenue. With maximizing revenue in bold. I don't trust this statement. Top platform is, sub- is subjective. Maximizing revenue is not their job. They collect money from my firm to manage subscriptions. They don't sell for me. They don't market for me. Our revenue rests on my shoulders, not theirs, unless they're in the marketing and sales business as well. Wasted space and wasted words. Roll down. A list of companies. Oddly, Recurly is not claiming them as customers. They just list logos. I, just this second, clicked their link to list all customers. I'm not there. So this statement isn't truthful. The truth is worth advocating for. Moving on. Subscribe to our philosophy. Oh, clever. But I don't know what that means. I try to click and nothing happens. There's no article or definition. Too bad. Wasted space. Rolling on. I see resources in a region. Good, helpful. Now I see a menu with some meat. Here I am at the bottom of the page, having ignored the top 90%. My signal-to-noise analysis continues as I scroll through the links. Recurly's signal-to-noise ratio is on par with most North American business-to-business websites. Why did we miss them in June of 2019? I can't really answer well. Recurly did not appear in our quickie analysis of PayPal's competitors. Furthermore, we searched for three months before they got the $19 million investment. We could have used the wrong search terms. They could have had the wrong keywords on their website. My tunnel vision and focus on a market leader added to the delay in making a better decision. Furthermore, I am a scarred, scared, and skeptical customer. That is a tough market to hit. I firmly believe that if you want my attention, you're in the wrong because I am not now nor ever have been your demographic. My defenses must have flexibility. Otherwise, innovation and invention are not possible. I need others and I need to feel some sense of inclusion. I may need your services. 
riddle that out, and you win the game. Conclusion. Not only did we write an interface to Recurly that works brilliantly, Recurly continued to improve their services. Podcast Flow intended to launch during the eve of the global COVID pandemic. We hit pause and postponed our effort. During the ensuing months, Recurly snuck in a nice little feature called Items. This seems like an obvious feature. Items makes building and bundling subscription plans easier. In the summer of 2020, we modified our digital connector to Recurly to use these items. We then made very real improvements to the login and security aspects of our products. Recurly's improvement met new needs for podcast flow. We decided to release more courses for podcasters. We had already written a learning management system with Oracle Apex and PLSQL. The learning management system is attached to podcast flow. The two are separate software. With the enhancement of Recurly, now if we see LMS in the first part of an item code, we know that this customer bought access to the learning management system. The second part of the code informs us which course or courses they subscribe to. The few weeks of effort improved our services significantly. I have a few criticisms or hopes for Recurly. They are so minor, I'll not share them publicly. Maybe by the time I record this episode and publish it, they will have a few fixes. In closing, the self-service nature of the internet marketplace means that the seller may know little about the actual customer. Storefront windows, like websites, often echo the age, taste, bias, and demographic of the marketing and sales team. Sadly, too few marketing folks recognize that their decisions may be repelling customers with cash. You know who is my perfect demographic for a product or a service that I sell, or even the perfect demographic for this podcast? Anyone interested? Well, I do speak about business entrepreneurship, software development, and business decisions. I hope I don't drive anyone away, unless, of course, you're PayPal. Oh, well. In the next chapter, I will discuss the United States Supreme Court decision, South Dakota versus Wayfair. This ruling changed the internet commerce in the United States and had immediate and profound impact on nearly every business selling anything via the internet to a person in the United States. The Soul of an Internet Machine is a copyrighted production of Fire Media LLC 2020, all rights reserved. You can find me at my website, christinamore.us. Email is okay too, christina at christinamore.us. Mm-hmm.